Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Victoria Jones, and this is Housing Wire Daily. In today's episode, Housing Wire Managing Editor James Kleiman joins me to discuss the latest jobs report from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, why there have been more high-level departures from Fannie Mae, and the topics the Housing Wire editorial team will cover in the week ahead. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. At Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, we know your vision of success is unique to you. That's why your goals and our culture of support go hand in hand. We give you the tools and support you need to thrive and live your best life. Come home to Atlantic Bay. Visit joinatlanticbay.com to explore what's possible. Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, NMLS number 72043, is an equal opportunity employer. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Housing Wire's Monday Morning Cup of Coffee, which is a segment of Housing Wire Daily. My name is Victoria Jones, and I'm Housing Wire's digital producer. And today I'm joined with Housing Wire Managing Editor James Kleiman. James, thanks for joining us again on Facebook Live. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, listeners, today we'll be discussing some of the hottest topics that came out of the newsroom last week, as well as what stories we're likely to discuss. And before we dive in on that, James, what were some of the topics that caught your eye last week? I know that FHFA has extended forbearance options for multifamily properties through the end of September, and the May jobs report from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics indicates unemployment now stands at 5.8%, which is around 30 basis points lower than April and now at its lowest rate since the pandemic began. But what specifically was of interest to you? So you touched on one of them. Uh, you know, we, we saw that the the jobs report from the month prior was terrible. You know, that there was something like a million jobs that were projected to have been gained, and instead it was about half that. And so a lot of observers were looking toward the May job report to really get a sense of are there trend lines materializing here? You know, what what should we be expecting given what we saw the prior month and, and, you know, specifically the industries that you really want to see recover, right? So hospitality, tourism, retail, just a lot of the uh, kind of the Americana jobs that, that were lost because the pandemic meant that social distancing eliminated a lot of jobs. And so I think the numbers were, I would say tepid is my take on it. You know, it was something like it was just north of 500,000, just below 600,000 jobs. And and look, it's not bad. You know, we are we are recovering. Absolutely. Um, you're seeing strength in some of those submarkets that I already mentioned. Um, but it's not like we're gaining a million jobs. We're not gaining a million point five jobs. The economy is not growing at the speed that I think a lot of people expected now that much of America has opened up. Um and so that's something to look for. You know, the, the positive signs are that those who have jobs do not feel like their jobs are under threat. You know, a lot of people saved a ton of money from not going out to restaurants or bars or movies or traveling. You know, Americans' financial situations, um, by and large, look better than they ever have. Or not better than they ever have, but, but certainly in recent history. Um, but that doesn't obscure the fact that there are a huge amount of people you know, who didn't have a lot to begin with, who are absolutely devastated by what the pandemic 
did to them. There are millions of renters who owe, you know, billions of dollars in in back rent payments. Who's going to pay them? What's going to happen? You know, it's it's still very much unclear. Um, but I, I'd say that lenders were somewhat encouraged, a little bit encouraged uh, by the jobs report, but nobody's, you know, singing from the mountaintops. All right. Well, let's discuss this week's likely stories. We just got out of this morning's roundup, but what stories is the newsroom going to be focusing on this week? So we got a few. We actually have a lot of good stuff coming already. I, I think we're going to have three HW Plus stories before noon today. Uh, and so I'm going to focus on one of them right now, which is uh, a piece that Georgia Cromry just finished up. It should be live in the next hour. It's about the exodus of executives from Fannie Mae. You know, in, in the past year, it's been about a dozen executives that have left um, and they're going to a lot of different firms. It's not like they're all going to one place. And so, you know, we, we wanted to really take a look at what are the reasons that people are leaving. This has been a very prestigious job for a very long time. You know, Fannie Mae had a reputation for being an exciting, interesting place to work, uh, especially in the single family division. And, and that's where they've had a lot of their hardest losses has been the single family division. Andrew Ponsal left in the fall and a number of people uh, joined him at Home Point where he's now the chairman of its parent company. Um, and, and so, you know, Cromer's reporting is really interesting in that I think to anyone who's been paying attention, the answer will be obvious, which is it's money, right? Like we, we hear so often that it's almost always money. You know, if, if somebody's gonna double or triple your compensation, You've got a family to think of. You have maybe future generations to think of. You have investments. You know, you, you have to, not to say that they can't put food on the table and, a, a, you know, a C-suite level executive salary at Fannie Mae, but, you know, there's a huge difference between 1 million and 3 million, right? And so a lot of people are voting with their wallet and and we're, we're also at a place in which a lot of these other IMBs and related, um, you know, services firms in the mortgage tech space have materialized and they have so much venture capital money or they just have huge profitability from from the mortgage boom of 2020 that it's a better deal it's straight up a better deal you know and and uh, her piece also gets into the non-monetary issues um and, and I don't want to give too much of the story away um but it's it's really difficult it's it's constraining for a lot of executives who like to have the flexibility and the freedom to make difficult decisions, uh, you know, and implement strategies that they can, you know, feel really advanced as a company significantly, but you can't do that at Fannie Mae and you can't do that at Freddie Mac because they are, they are effectively controlled by the FHFA. And so a lot of executives bristle at having to be managed very heavily by a regulator. And, and I think, you know, depending on who you ask, some of them just don't feel that the FHFA is really very supportive of Fannie Mae and their mission. Uh, you know, and, and I think the outcry from the industry, from the cap on investment properties at 7% uh, really kind of speaks to that issue that a lot of the executives um, and the industry in general was one surprised uh, too. They felt like it wasn't communicated effectively or politely and that there's very little there's no room to negotiate, you know, it's sort of, here's an edict, you're going to do this, um, very much like a, a strict parent, you know, policing the you know, teenager's behavior. Um, and I don't want to reduce this down to, you know, tropes like that, um, because there are a lot of complexities here and, and a lot of really smart people who work here 
for a long time and and they've they even survived the 2008-2009 you know um difficulties in in that space and in housing finance and so one would think that this would be a better time but i I think a lot of people are chafing at at some of the uh the micromanaging um of of the fhfa so so that story is going to be live in hopefully less than an hour and so I'd really encourage everyone to take a look. It's it's a great piece. And anyone who has feedback would like to, to speak to us, you know, certainly off the record. We we talk to people all the time off the record just to gather information to check, um, you know, make sure that our facts are right. Uh, so please reach out to me. My email is jkleiman, K-L-E-I-M-A-N-N at housingwire.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely sounds like an interesting piece. I'm really excited to read that one. My last question for you is what topics or stories do you think people should be paying attention to right now that maybe they aren't at this time? Yeah, I, I think some people who, who follow the similar space in housing finance and, and regulatory environments are paying attention to this one. But but I think everybody's just been kind of sitting and waiting and hoping uh, that something is, is announced soon. It's, it's the anticipation is is killing me and it's killing a lot of people. It's, it's just what's going to happen with the FHFA. You know, the Supreme Court has, they've extended their session uh, later into June, um, but they've made no announcement as to whether, you know, it, it, there's a lot of complicated uh, legalese to go through. And I, I don't, I don't want to um, make this any more obtuse than it could possibly already be. Um, but basically the question is whether, whether the president can fire uh, you know, the head of the FHFA, Mark Calabria. And from what I've heard from a lot of our reporters, they expect that when the Supreme Court does eventually reach a decision, that they're going to be consistent with their previous decisions and that Mark Calabria will probably have a pretty short tenure under the, you know, the time of the Biden administration. Um, but we don't know, you know, there are always kind of some surprises and the Supreme Court is, whether they would admit to it or not, very politically divided. Um, there, there are certainly ideological issues at play there. And so I don't know. I really don't know. But from what we've heard from people in the industry who follow this very closely, we are expecting that a decision will be made this week, that an opinion will be issued, you know, maybe tomorrow even. So, so that's something everybody's got to be paying attention to for sure. Yeah, definitely going to be keeping an eye on that. Well, lastly, before we go, is there anything else our listeners should know or anything else you'd like to add today? Yeah, you know, I just got an email and I just got off the phone with Matt Ishbia, uh, of course, the president and CEO of UWM. And they have a, a pretty big announcement, which is they're going to be price matching all conventional loans on primary residences up to 35 basis points. So it doesn't matter what the FICA qualification is, any loan size, any term, um, you know, and this is really, this is a pretty aggressive escalation in, in what I have uh, used as a metaphor of the pricing war. And um, and it's interesting because a wholesale, you know, the margins are always thinner than retail. Um, you know, that, that's sort of the idea behind the model, right? Like you don't need this this large apparatus to um, to kind of you know, do a loan that, you know, a mortgage worker shop can kind of manage their own affairs and you just you know, offer them the, the opportunity at the product and the service and see where things go. Um, but but UWM is one of the very few lenders that I think can really withstand, you know, uh, you know sustained pressure on, on margins. Um, and, and just the other day, I think it was Friday, one of the big bond rating agencies, you know, lowered um, their, their ratings on some of the UWM bonds to neutral. 
just because yeah, the margins are getting really thin. And, and UWM, I, I think what this move is signaling to the industry that they're not concerned about the margins, that that's not what's going to be guiding their business, that they are primarily focused on gaining market share. And that's really what this is about. And so UWM, can they sustain, you know, um, margins at like 50 basis points? Yeah. For how long? You know, I don't know that that depends on, on how comfortable the executives are for more limited profits, you know, over, over the long-term uh, rocket. Can they sustain it? Yeah. I mean, they've got how many billions of dollars, you know, in the kitty, uh, if anybody could withstand pricing, it's UW, uh, it's, it's rocket, it's UWM. These are the two biggest lenders out there. So I think what's interesting is this is really going to force a lot of the, say the, the smaller to midsize, um, you know, mortgage broker operations, uh, wholesale operations out there, which very few are pure play. You know, it's really UWM and HomePoint at this, at this stage. Um, but they're going to have to really, really, really cut their pricing to compete with UWM for mortgage brokers. Um, how long would they be willing to do that in a channel that their margins are already pretty limited? I don't know. It's uh, it, it's a really aggressive move. It's an interesting one. And uh, it, it's something we're going to be watching carefully, certainly when the earnings report comes out, you know, in, I guess a few weeks or whatever. Definitely. Well, all right, listeners, thanks for tuning in to another live recording of Monday Morning Cup of Coffee. I hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you back here next Monday. Until then, you can check out Housing Wire Daily. You don't want to miss out on all the amazing interviews that we have planned for the week. James, thanks again for your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks very much, Victoria. Absolutely. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing Housing Wire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll catch everyone back here again tomorrow.